Well, hello. Welcome back to Nerdy Girl Reviews, a podcast where I talk about whatever the fuck I want, completely unprompted. My name is Katie, and I plan to share my unsolicited, unasked for opinions on all things media, movies, TV, streaming, and sometimes music, books, and video games. Today, I'm going to be diving into yet another video game-based streaming series. And I apologize ahead of time if you can hear my neighbors in my backyard shooting at things because I live in bumblefuck middle of nowhere, which means that my neighbors are constantly shooting something and I don't know what. I know that they eat squirrels. Do you do you shoot squirrels? I've never been hunting, so I wouldn't know. But I think you like trap squirrels with the little thing. I've seen the Hunger Games. I know how that works, kind of. But they're constantly shooting stuff in the backyard. And thankfully, like, my dogs and my cats aren't really bothered by it. But I used to have a dog who was really bothered by it and by, like, fireworks and stuff. So bothered by it that we would have to lock him in the bathroom because he got so scared he would, like, hide in the bathtub. I'm already getting off topic. This is what happens when I don't have a script like I did last time. Um, yeah, I am so sorry for not posting that last one when I said I was going to. I claimed to be on the mend and then I started to feel sick again and, (sighs) um, honestly, uh, as of recording this, I'm gonna be doing recording two weeks ahead of time, but as of recording this right now, I am still not feeling awesome, but I am feeling a lot better than I was when I last recorded and all of the past week. So hopefully, fingers crossed, it's an upward trend and I am back to feeling my normal self very soon. So last time we discussed a little bit of history about the Castlevania franchise and video game series, which I have never played before, and I also promised that I would be talking about the first two episodes of the series. I might end up talking about the third and fourth episodes in this because the first season is so short, it only consists of four total episodes. When I first watched the series, I was like, why is the first season only four episodes? But then when I watch it, and especially when I watch it back, I realize that each of the episodes is setting up and introducing our main characters, and does a really great job at doing that, actually. So it's not like Vox Machina, where it kind of dives right in, shows you the entire group, and goes from there. This is a very slow build-up, so the first season is kind of like a prologue, and then the second season is like the main story. A lot of people believe that the show should have ended with the second season, and I don't disagree with that. I would have been fine with it being a little mini-series of sorts. The second season only has eight episodes, I believe, but I think that the narrative is really tight, and I like the pacing of it. I like it so much, in fact, that I struggled not to just 
press start on the third episode and keep watching. I really enjoy these characters, so it gets kind of addicting at a point because, and and I've binge-watched this show like 15 times at least probably, not necessarily like watching it all the way through every single time, like watching every single second of it. Like, for example, I'm rewatching Avatar The Last Airbender right now, but it's more so for like me to have something to listen to while I'm playing The Sims. <laughs> but nevertheless, I really love that show. So going from Avatar The Last Airbender into Castlevania, it's a little bit jarring. I also forgot how graphic Castlevania is. I thought that The Legend of Vox Machina was graphic, but I haven't watched Castlevania since before Vox Machina came out. So here I am sitting there thinking, oh, you know, this show kind of reminds me of Castlevania. It's a little bit raunchy. It's a little bit violent. It's a little bit gory. And then I go back and I watch Castlevania and I'm like, oh, yeah, This show is very bloody and very violent. Like, the first episode... So, when I first started watching this show, it was during quarantine, I think, and my brother was like, hey, watch this show with me. And at that point, the first three seasons were out, and he had already watched them, but he wanted me to watch it because he was like, hey, I think you'd like this. And I was like, okay, fine. So we started out, we're watching the beginning of the first episode, and I'm like, this isn't one of those shows that's like super gory and bloody, is it? And he was like, no. And then we get to the end-ish of the first episode, and I just glared daggers at him. Like, I was like, this is so... This is a lot. Needless to say, I kind of got desensitized to it and I kind of got used to it at a certain point, which probably says a lot more about me than it does about the actual show itself. But yeah, this show is incredibly graphic, incredibly violent. Even in the first couple of episodes, it gets quite, it gets to be quite a lot. So my thoughts on the first two episodes are actually pretty brief, and that's why I am still considering at this point just covering the whole first season, because why not? But the first episode of season one is called Witch Bottle, and we will get into the reasons why that is called that. I just can't wait to, like, start talking about the show and comparing it to the games and the knowledge that I have of the games and the knowledge that I'm going to learn about the games. So without further ado, let's get into Castlevania Season 1, Episode 1, Witch Bottle. So like I mentioned, the first season is rather short and all of the episodes are also pretty short. They're in that 23 to 25 minute window that the episodes of The Legend of Vox Machina are in. I think that that really contributes to the quick pace and the tight narrative that the show really has. Nothing feels rushed ever when I'm watching it, not even in these first like shorter seasons. The third and fourth seasons have 10 episodes each, I think, and Truth be told, I think that they could both have benefited from having fewer episodes, honestly, but can't go back and change it now. 
while this is a shorter episode, it jumps right out the gate with the disturbing images. The very first image that we open this series on is a field full of skeletons on stakes that are just completely run through, impaled through from bottom to top, and they are rotting and mostly decomposed (laughs) at this point. It would almost, like the sunset and the image behind all of the death is quite beautiful. I have to say, I do think that the animation improves as the series goes on, but there is some really pretty animation in these first couple of episodes, and I'm sure we'll see in the third and fourth episodes. I think that they were really reserving the budget for the finale of this season. They do the same thing with the second season. It's kind of how these shows go, right? They have a big giant battle sequence in the second to last or the last episode or both. And that is where the majority of the budget is allocated to, which makes sense, of course, because you need a big budget for the combat and action sequences that this show is pulling off as well as shows like Vox Machina and Arcane and stuff. But quickly, this field of skeletons gets filled up with bats. It's haunting and anxiety-inducing. I felt quite a lot of anxiety watching this episode. I already know what's going to happen. I think it was just a combination of the score and the images that were happening on screen just really attributed to that. Very abruptly, though, we see a bat being stabbed quite easily by a small knife wielded by a young blonde woman who is walking up the steps of this giant castle that has all of the impaled corpses in its front lawn. This is one of my favorite characters, honestly. She, spoilers, doesn't stick around very long. She is really just in this first five minutes, but her impact is what kind of propels the entire story forward from this point on. So introducing her and then immediately ripping her away from us is very much intentional and very much meant to drive the story forward. She walks up to these big giant castle doors and she is so small in comparison. She bangs on the front door, the front door opens, She's got her little knife out and she just starts talking to the person who owns this castle. Inside is quite large as well. There's like this big double staircase leading up to a man standing quite far ahead of her. And she introduces herself as Lisa from the village of Lupu. By the way, if I mispronounce any of these names of these towns, then please forgive me because I am not very familiar with the language or the geography. Um, I took Spanish 
all throughout school. So if you ask me to pronounce something in Spanish, I'm probably going to do a pretty good job. But any other language, it's a toss-up. Like, you don't want to hear me try to pronounce a French word. It's going to be bad. But anyway, Lisa is so cool. (laughs) She is just the coolest person ever. She knows that the person who lives in this castle has quite a lot of knowledge and resources, and she wants to be a doctor. Now, of course, we know, and he introduces himself as Vlad Dracula Tepesh, and he is Dracula. He is a big vampire man. Quite a lot of the fandom tends to call him sexy. (laughs) I never really saw that until pretty recently, and we'll see why I might feel that way now. Um, But yeah, to the point, Lisa is like, listen, I want to help people. I just want to, you know, practice science, practice medicine, and heal people. And Dracula kind of mocks her a little bit. He's a little bit, oh, he's he's rubbing me the wrong way. He's being a little bit of an asshole, isn't he? He's being patronizing. He's being condescending. Lisa is terrified at first. Like, he pops up right behind her, scares the shit out of her. We can see the moment where her fear shifts into bravery and confidence when she realizes that this ancient, very powerful vampire is just a hermit and he's very rude. She remarks on his lack of manners very, very quickly. This gives him pause. It takes him by surprise. I don't think that he anticipated this human woman having the gall to speak to him so frankly And not only that, to, like, immediately call him out for being kind of a shithead. This is the weirdest (laughs) meet-cute ever. But, yeah, no, he he is a hater. (laughs) He hates all humans. He does not really see the value in human life. She calls him out for not being a very hospitable host She's like, you didn't even offer to give me a drink. You didn't offer to take my coat. And he kind of subtly threatens to drink her blood. But she's not taking his shit. She calls his bluff and she's like, listen, I'm just here because I have heard that the man who lives in this castle has all kinds of scientific advancements. And I just want to better the world. And I'm not a witch like the people around me like to claim because this takes place in 1455. I forgot to mention that. There's a big title card. Wallachia 1455. So Wallachia is of course a region in Romania and this is Dracula's castle. So at the time of course it was kind of forbidden for women especially to do the kinds of things that Lisa wants to do. Women who practiced medicine at this time and really up until quite recently in history were branded as witches and were hunted down by members of the church 
and were often burned at the stake or drowned for their crimes. We've all heard about like the Salem witch trials. The idea behind that was that if she was truly not a witch, then she wouldn't burn, which is pretty fucking stupid if you ask me, because everybody burns if you set them on fire. And that if these witches were truly witches, then they would not drown. Or if they were witches, they would drown. And it's so convoluted and stupid. And it's like, again, if you tie a weight to any person's body and throw them in a body of water, they're not going to be able to swim to the surface. Like, this is just basic common sense. But I guess when you are so heavily entrenched in religious brainwashing, these things don't really connect. (laughs) Yeah, Lisa is kind of trying to pose a new way of life to Dracula or Vlad, as he likes to be called, I guess. It's his little nickname. She's like, well, you know, I don't think that you've really given people much of a chance, but he seems pretty convinced that all humans are trash and not worth living and not worth saving. The sudden appearance of Lisa is maybe starting to change his mind because she's like, well, maybe you should go like travel and live among men and like maybe talk to them and get to know them a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, I I can travel. This whole castle can travel which I thought was a really interesting seed to sow quite early on that the castle has a mechanism that gives it the capability of traveling distances. We'll get to see how it does it, but it is quite the little Easter egg. And it's at this point that Vlad actually decides that he might quite like Lisa. It's a very cute line. I think I might like you that I will flag up in a future episode of Castlevania. So he goes and he shows her this giant room that he has that I guess kind of serves as a laboratory for him that has all of these inventions and discoveries of science within it. And she is like in heaven. It's like the scene in Beauty and the Beast where the Beast shows her his library and she just absolutely swoons over it. That's kind of that. There is a 20-year time skip from here, so we go from 1455 to 1475. Within this time skip, we see that Lisa is now being burned at the stake by a local bishop and being accused of being a witch. So for her crimes... She is being burned at the stake. We've had her in this show for like all of five minutes. I am head over heels in love with her. I was so bummed out (laughs) when I first watched this show and I realized that she was going to die so early on. Like I was like, don't we get like at least an episode or two with her? That would be so nice. But nope, she's dying. These sick fucks are absolutely giddy at the thought of her being punished for these supposed crimes. As she's dying, she is 
calling out and talking to somebody who isn't there saying that it's not their fault and don't blame them and there are innocent people who are not at fault for this. The bishop and the mayor assume that she is talking to Satan. (laughs) Who she's actually talking to is probably worse. (laughs) Um, And then we get our opening credits of this episode. I noticed that they don't have them in the second episode. I don't know if that's like a thing where it's just like the first episode of every new season. I forgot how stylized it is. It's so like creatively drawn. It's kind of like sketched almost in like a 2D, like, I mean, it's all 2D animation, but in a way that's like kind of rough and very like fluid and just so stylized and so creative. There's so much cool art happening in this show that I really appreciate. I think I'm still in a like (laughs) Spider-Verse state of mind where I'm just really appreciative of ambitious art styles. And it's in this scene that we see Dracula, Vlad, making his way, making my way through a town or to a town. And he has, in the last 20 years, really taken Lisa's advice to heart. He has gone out and lived amongst people. And he has, we can assume, come to really enjoy this way of life. But he happens upon this structure, this home that is burning and we can only assume that this was Lisa's. There's an elderly woman there with a bouquet of flowers. She is quite upset. She is clearly mourning Lisa and Vlad is like, what the fuck happened here? Where is my wife? And the older woman explains that Lisa was very kind to her, first of all, that she was very good to her, that she always helped her, that she was not a witch, that she was a very good doctor, and that the church has decided to burn her because they have decided that she is a witch. But it's too late. Dracula does not like to hear this. He, to his credit, doesn't murder this old woman, which I know is like, that's the bare fucking minimum of decency to not murder an innocent old woman who only had kind words to say about the person that you loved most in the world. But this is the most devastating thing that he could have ever heard. Because as he states here, and later on in this episode, the only reason why he has changed so much, the only reason why he has tolerated humans so much, is because of the good that Lisa has seen in them, and the ways that Lisa has changed him as a person. But without her, it kind of doesn't matter to him. So he is quite intent on killing everyone in the surrounding area and making them pay for this action that they have taken against his wife. Even though it was only a handful of people, even though, you know, there are people who are kind of relishing and the burning of a witch. Something that we really have to keep in mind is like, these are the people who were chanting and cheering for public beheadings. Like, it's the kind of mindset that really annoys me when people bring it up in regards to like Game of Thrones, which 
spoilers for Game of Thrones, a show that started 12 years ago. If you haven't seen the first season of Game of Thrones, I guess skip ahead a little bit. When Ned Stark is killed in the first season of Game of Thrones, there are peasants and citizens of King's Landing who are at his public beheading cheering for his death and celebrating it. And something that I always see get brought up as an argument against like people who were quite horrified by Daenerys scorching the entire city and killing everyone in it is, oh, well, those people cheered for Ned Stark's death. And it's like, yeah, those people are also starving and have several diseases probably, don't know where their next meal is going to come from, don't have any money, might not have a job, might not have a home. And if they do, it's probably quite shitty and dirty and just their quality of life is so bad and they are so bored and brainwashed by the ruling family and in this case by the church that they're willing to believe and go along with anything these people say. So I don't necessarily find them to be at fault. They just don't know any better. So that's where I am at on that. So like I said, Dracula does not murder this woman, but he does kind of start to like he starts to cry blood, first of all, which looks fucking awesome. His eyes, like, turn into, like, these demon eyes, and he starts to, like, have a little bit of flame around him. And he tells her to get herself and her loved ones out of Wallachia because he is going to um, kill everybody <laughs> in Wallachia. That's not funny, but it's just, like, bro... You took it from zero to a hundred so motherfucking quick. It's crazy. But he tells her that this is like his last act of kindness in the name of his wife. And she uh, is horrified and terrified and just stunned. And then he bursts entirely into flames and is presumably has disappeared. But what he's really doing is kind of like astral projecting through the flames that were used to kill Lisa and he presents himself as a skull but the bishop and mayor mistake him for Satan again because they're fucking stupid and simple-minded and then he's like nah man I'm Dracula and they're like Dracula's not real he's a, a legend a myth and then he gets really offended that they deny his existence. They're like, you just killed my wife and you won't even admit that I'm real. Like, God, what a fucking day. But he tells them that he will give them exactly one calendar year to get the fuck out of Wallachia or he is going to, well, he is already just going to assemble an army and wipe out all human life. And they don't really seem all too concerned about it because they don't do that. But before that happens, Dracula is in a room in his castle looking at his mirror, which breaks into a bunch of shards and floats around the room. This mirror has a purpose that we will get to see in a later episode. But yeah, he's just going absolutely apeshit. He's just breaking stuff and he's 
pissed the fuck off and vows to kill everyone in Wallachia, of course. This man comes into the room. We just see his silhouette. We don't see his full face and we don't see like his full body. We will be formally introduced to this character in a future episode, so I won't talk too much about him, but we will get to see him before the season ends. However, we won't see him in the next two episodes, which really upsets me because he is one of my favorite characters, and I love him so much, but he protests this. He's like, listen, I miss her too. I'm going to mourn her, but she would not want you to do this, and I will not let you commit genocide. And Dracula's like, mm, fucking bet, runs up on this motherfucker and slashes him. There is blood everywhere. What follows this is a- another time skip. It's the last one until season four, so hold your horses, but this time it's only a year. We are now in the year 1476, and it is a year since the passing of Lisa. The archbishop of the town is celebrating killing Lisa. Dracula's gonna follow through with his plan. It starts raining blood from the sky in quite large quantities and it is disturbing and then suddenly all of these little like creatures that like look like bats almost start falling from the sky and yeah dracula shows up (laughs) he's mad he's like well you guys missed your chance You didn't leave like I told you to, so now I'm gonna unleash literal hell on you. He's not actually physically there. He's kind of, I would call this a projection of sorts. It's gotta be magical in nature, but he's a fucking vampire, so of course he's got powers. Yeah, no, he just unleashes a fuck ton of creatures from hell, and they start demolishing the population of this town. And this is the point where I was like, oh, yeah, this is really graphic. (laughs) This is really gory. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of guts and, you know, eyeballs being violated. There's a lot of eye violence in this show. But yeah, no, here's the thing. (laughs) I get being sad about your wife being persecuted for crimes that literally don't exist. Like, which, first of all, if witchcraft was a thing, which I believe in a certain extent of witchiness as we know it, like, not as, like, superpowers necessarily, but, like, you know, intentions and setting intentions and using physical objects to do that and carry out these things. I do believe in that to an extent, but I also don't believe that it's evil. I don't really want to get into my own personal beliefs, but I am not religious. <laughs> I, I am what some people would call agnostic. I am, I am self-identified as an atheist. So that's kind of where my beliefs go, and that is the lens through which I view this series. So sorry <laughs> if you don't appreciate the light that the 
church, a Christian church, is painted through in this series. But, you know, if you watched something like Hunchback of Notre Dame, then, you know, it's kind of like that, except really, really, really mature. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, a few towns over, we are introduced to our real main character or (laughs) our main protagonist who we don't formally meet until the next episode. This person is in a bar and he is quite drunk listening to these two men who are bantering back and forth about how they are related and apparently they are both cousins and brothers. They have the same dad right but the one guy's mom is the other guy's aunt and i'm like you know never mind about that that's <laughs> that's a whole other thing the one guy is telling a story about someone defiling his goat or his sheep i can't remember which one it's nasty. Like, I know that this kind of thing happens in real life, but basically the story culminates in, oh, I was pissed off at him because he nearly killed my animal, and so I smacked him in the face with a shovel, and now I'm having to pay him because he went blind from it. And it's such bullshit because these ruling class, this these ruling families are just taking from us and they never do right by us. I don't think that I should have to do this. And you know who's the worst of them all is the Belmonts. The drunk man in the corner, our protagonist, looks to the side and says, So, we can only infer that he is indeed a Belmont (laughs) and that people don't like the Belmonts. There is a whole history with the Belmont family that I will get into when I talk about the next episode, which is season one, episode two, Necropolis. I had a lot less to remark on in that episode, so I will be tacking it right on to this one. I've been talking for quite a while, so I don't think I'm going to get to episodes three and four, but I will probably put those into one episode yet again for next week. Without further ado, let's get into episode two, Necropolis. This is a way more fun episode, and I would say not as dark and heavy as the first episode. Like I mentioned in the recap of episode one, this episode introduces our protagonist, Trevor Belmont, and... It does something very interesting (laughs) with introducing him in showing him to be kind of off his game. He's a little bit of a loser when we meet him. He is extremely inebriated, like heavy, heavy, heavy alcoholic. Yeah, he's just, you know... He's having a rough time. We will kind of get a little bit more of his backstory in 
future episodes and we get a little taste of it in this episode but we really just get like the briefest of summaries so how to describe trevor belmont (laughs) at this stage of the story he is basically traveling from town to town just in the hopes of making it to the next day in this episode and in this introductory scene he claims to have fought vampires and i have no reason to not believe him he is kind of a sloppy depressed (laughs) drunken mess of a man according to his wiki page he is 20 years old I don't know how old the other protagonists are, but I would... Well, I know how old the one other protagonist is, but I don't know how old the third one is. So when I introduce that character, I'll talk a little bit about kind of what I what I personally think their backstory may be and compare and contrast to their video game introduction and backstory. But the backstory that we are given for Trevor is that most people believe his family dealt in witchcraft. As a result, they were chased out of their ancestral home. They were hunted down and killed. Trevor is the only survivor. Hence why when I talked about season one of Legend of Vox Machina way back when I compared his backstory to Percival's because Percy DeRolo, while I do think that Trevor doesn't have many of the same attributes as Percy, (laughs) mostly in that he's nowhere near as intelligent as Percy is and like Percy is, you know... If you know, you know, Percy thinks that he is a lot smarter than he really is, I think. But what he is smart at, what he is good at, and what he is knowledgeable about, he really does know his shit with. I I always try to humble Percy a little bit just because I think that he's a bit too arrogant for his own good, but I do love him. Trevor is less a man of science and mechanics and more of a man of violence. (laughs) His main um, area of strength is weaponry, particularly his whip, which we will get to see him use in this episode. It's just a really fun character introduction because, of course, these two guys are standing at the bar and they're just like going off about these horrible ruling families who don't care about anybody but themselves. Trevor doesn't really have that same kind of experience. We will learn in season two, I believe, uh, like I said, a lot more about his childhood, his backstory, and what really happened with his family. He has been on his own for quite some time at this point. And by on his own, I mean like completely on his own. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have family. He doesn't have 
anybody looking out for him and he doesn't have any real attachments to anyone or anything. The only thing that he cares about is getting drunk (laughs) every day. As these guys at the bar are going back and forth about how their basic needs aren't being met because the rich are prioritizing themselves, Trevor goes up to the bar and tries to order another drink and the bartender calls him out for not having paid him yet so he goes to fish out his little coin bag and the other patrons at the bar notice the crest on his shirt. Oi! What's that on your chest? My shirt. Here's the thing about Trevor. He is sarcastic as fuck. His go-to is usually just to try to play dumb because I think that he really likes to lean into the whole like, I'm just a drunk idiot. Nobody is going to take me seriously. So if I just pretend like I'm stupid, then I will fly completely under the radar. These guys don't buy it. Like he tries to bargain with them. He's like, okay, here's my money. Give me my drink. I'll drink it and then I'll leave. And then... He resolves himself to just giving the bartender the money and being on his merry way. But these guys do not want to let him go. He will not admit who he really is, even though they know. And he's like, nope, I just found this shirt somewhere. It's not mine. But they're saying some pretty inflammatory things about his family. And he has an instinct to defend them. They're like, oh, these Belmonts were dabbling in witchcraft and they were monsters. And he's like, no, the Belmonts fought the monsters. These peasants are pretty insistent that they were dabbling in some like dark ass magic. And he's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to leave. Like, I'm tired of this. I'm over this. Yeah, they still don't want to let him leave because (laughs) they are convinced that he is actually partially responsible for the attacks that Dracula has been orchestrating, which of course he isn't. They're trying to get him to admit who he really is. And of course, he keeps falling back onto being a smartass because that's what he does. Confess and I'll make it quick. What's your name? Jesus of Nazareth. And he also tries to kind of intimidate them into not pursuing a conflict with him. He's like, listen, I've got a short sword. I've got a whip. Like, you guys really don't want to do this. But the main aggressor just comes up and knees him in the nuts. And it's not the first time that this happens in this fairy fight scene, which is... uh, rather pathetic display of Trevor's skills. Thinking back on it, this being his introduction, I mean, it does show off some of his skills, but he is extremely off his game. (laughs) He is very drunk and very out of practice. So he is a bit uncoordinated and he's also outnumbered. It's three on one plus the bartender And they're just kicking the shit out of him. And every time he tries to get back up, they just knock him back down again. And eventually just throw him right out. Poor Trevor is (laughs) not 
having a great day and not having a particularly great life. He is quite jaded toward everything. He doesn't give a single fuck about anybody but himself. So he eventually wakes up beneath a tree in the woods. He is very hungover. (laughs) He remarks to himself, as he does quite a lot of narrating what's going on, and it's for exposition purposes, but also it kind of is a thread that is continuous throughout the entire series that whenever Trevor is alone, he tends to talk to himself. It's kind of endearing, I can't lie. He stumbles over to the cliffside of the wooded area that he has found himself in. He remarks that he is just outside of the city of Greshet. There are a bunch of night creatures wreaking havoc across the city, snatching babies out of cradles, not in the dirty way, just decimating everybody. There's heads on spikes. It's a fucking mess. When he gets down to the city gate, he notices that it's kind of like barricaded, like there's just a whole bunch of shit blocking the entrance of the city. So he has no choice but to crawl up a sewer drain. (laughs) So glamorous. Such is the life of Trevor Bucking Belmont. Once Trevor is marked safe from being hit with literal shit and makes his way up the sewer pipe. He makes his way through the city and finds it in rough shape. Like, there are just dead bodies everywhere. There's blood everywhere. He is walking across a bridge at a point and happens upon two guys who are throwing a corpse over the side of the bridge. And beneath is just a pile of what has to be hundreds of corpses. And Trevor pauses for one whole second and then spits on the corpses like this man... (laughs) I swear to God, he is such a piece of shit when we first meet him. Believe it or not, he becomes one of my favorite characters. Like, there is something very endearing about him at a point. This is not that point. I think that the next episode is definitely like a turning point for him. Well, maybe even a little in this episode too, but he's not there yet. (laughs) He is just so not there yet. He walks through the city a little more. He happens upon what looks like a kind of town square where there are some stalls and he perches himself up on a high point so he can kind of observe from up above and finds a stall that's selling meat and various foods He buys a little bit of dried goat, which sounds gross to me, but (laughs) I like goat that's like not jerky, but that's just me. Maybe goat jerky is good. I don't know. But he asks the woman who is running the stall if the city has any defense efforts and she's like, oh, well, we've got a tribe of speakers in the city. So once we do what we need to do with them, the demons will leave us alone. 
this sends Trevor on a bit of an investigation. This is where we see this little like detective side of Trevor coming out. It's it's kind of, you know, he's a little bit of a dumbass, but he's not completely stupid. He starts asking around, just trying to find any information that he can until he learns about this legend of the sleeping soldier who is apparently in a kind of comatose state underneath the city who will be woken when they need him or something. It's very like prophetic, kind of like the Avatar, I'm not gonna lie. Like it's, I'm rewatching Avatar right now and as soon as I saw that I was like, oh, it's a little bit like Aang, you know? Like when the world needed him most, he vanished. <laughs> the speaker thing, the sleeping soldier thing, these are some really good Easter eggs that we will need to build the story going forward. This guy who's telling Trevor about the sleeping soldier is pretty convinced that he is number one, not only real, but is going to come to their aid, but that they need to keep it kind of hush hush because the bishop does not like this talk of what he calls the old wisdom. So pretty much anything that's not based in scripture, they don't like it. Then he asks another young woman about the sleeping soldier and she seems to think that the speakers are making the sleeping soldier ill so that he won't come and defend them because it's awfully coincidental that, you know, the demons of Dracula are coming at night, but there's really nothing there. She's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, I think. We all we all know someone like that these days. Then he asks another man about it and he's like, don't worry, the bishop will figure everything out. So we've kind of got the full spectrum of like, okay, here's the conservative Here's the, you know, more like radicalized progressive. And then here's the conspiracy theory in the middle. <laughs> but this guy, yeah, he he's, you know, this is a period of time where people take religion pretty seriously. I know there are some parts of the world where people do still take it seriously. So after gathering a bit of this information, Trevor is strolling through an alleyway, eating his goat jerky, when he happens upon two clergymen escorting an elderly man somewhere. He kind of pauses at this and stops to observe them. Basically, these clergymen are intimidating and harassing this old man and accusing him and his people of bringing the demons that attacked the city, which he didn't, but they're stupid, so they don't know that. Trevor, he kind of starts to feel defensive of this old man. And this is what I was alluding to a couple minutes ago about Trevor kind of having a turnaround. For all of his like lack of care for other humans in general, he doesn't want to see this old man get beat up or killed. These men are accusing the old man of using magic, but he's like, no, I literally just am here because 
I want to help the city, which is genuinely what they've been doing. But they are not convinced. They think that he is evil and that his people need to leave the city. So apparently the speakers were given, this man is a speaker, spoilers, were given until last night to leave the city and they did not. So these two clergymen are going to kill the elder speaker is what he calls himself the elder it's a great name just before they can trevor rocks up with the whip and you know what for how hard he flopped the night before he's got some moves he's got some he's got some moves i love whenever trevor uses the whip because they always make it they animate it so well that it just like you can feel it you know it's 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 just so good and not only does he stop this one man from killing the old man he literally takes off his finger with the whip which is pretty badass So the now fingerless priest urges the other priest to kill Trevor. Trevor does not see this as a threat at all. He, I think, is actually kind of excited for the confrontation almost because he does remark that while he may be out of practice, he is sober today for now. He's probably going to get wasted a little bit later, but you know, he gets wasted every day. And as this guy tries to pull a a knife on him, Trevor, he rocks the whip again. He ties it around the priest's hand and then kind of ties it around his ankle and knocks him over. He's just humoring this man and he gets fed up to the point where he just whips the guy's eyeball out. It's so nasty and it's so badass. I love it. It's just It's so good. This is like a very, very, very small hint of Trevor at his finest. So the priests leave with whatever body parts they still have left. And the old man thanks Trevor for his help, even though he does not approve of the violence. But, you know, sometimes these things are necessary. So Trevor follows the elder speaker to the home that his tribe of speakers have come to settle in. He says that they're staying here and that there are 11 of them, although there are technically 12. And we'll find out about that a little bit later into the episode. So the elder invites Trevor to come in and meet the rest of the speakers. It is a very strained reunion because they know how dangerous it is for him to be walking out and about when they're really not wanted. But like the thing is like they're literally just trying to provide like medical aid to people. So (laughs) it's a little bit shitty but you know that's how these things go. There is a younger member of the tribe who also does not appreciate the violence that Trevor used on the priests, but the elder explains that the younger members believe that words speak louder than actions, and Trevor says something like, well, you are speakers, that's kind of what you do, and they're surprised to learn that he knows what speakers are, and he tells them that his family has always been cool with speakers, except for one who his father got into a bit of a scuffle with because his father suggested that they transcribe all of their words. 
See, speakers are anti-paper. <laughs> they do not write any of their histories down because they kind of are protective of their secrets. That's a big no-no for them. At this point, the elder offers Trevor refreshments and he asks for a drink, but rejects water. He's like, oh, nope, don't want that. Kind of wanted something a little bit harder than that, which is just like, bro, it's the morning. <laughs> like, Come on. This is where Trevor kind of expresses a little bit of confusion at the speakers deciding to settle in this city because he has always known them to be nomadic. So they travel to different places. They just decided to stay here to, like I said, help the people of the city throughout these attacks. But Trevor remarks that they seem to have been here for a while. And when they ask how he knows that, he tells them that the locals have been blaming the speakers for, well, some of them, for the attacks. And they're really not happy with the presence of the speakers in the city. But the elder says that this was orchestrated by the church themselves, of course, because they are the ones who are responsible for Dracula's attacks, which we, the viewers, know that, of course. But these very impressionable, uneducated people would not know any better. And the elder basically says that they are deflecting. This is like a hardcore case of deflection. Trevor kind of questions this as well, and the elder tells him that there were speakers in Targoviste a year ago when the church burned Dracula's wife at the stake, of course, accusing her of being a witch. Immediately, Trevor is like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that happened then, I guess. This is where the elder corroborates the stories that others have been telling Trevor about the sleeping soldier. They have a history of this legend of the sleeping soldier. Trevor tells the elder that he has heard this legend before. He also at this point reveals to them that he is a Belmont. They're like, oh, I thought your family just disappeared. And he's like, well, that's a polite way of putting it. We were kind of like chased off our lands, burned murdered, and he's the only survivor. We'll definitely explore Trevor's feelings a little bit more on that in future episodes. Like I mentioned earlier, there's a reason why I compare him to Percy Dorolo. They have very similar origins in that way, so I can't wait to talk about that. It's also revealed within this conversation that there are actually magicians within the speaker culture. So the accusations of being like magic wielders by the priests wasn't completely unfounded. The evil part, they were off about. But now that we kind of know that the speakers dabble with magic and the Belmont family has dabbled around in some kind of magic because Trevor has knowledge of it, we'll start to see how that kind of comes together in the rest of this series. So the elder is like, okay, well, what are you gonna do now? And Trevor's like, find some more food, find some drink, get drunk, eat some food, move on. Get the fuck out of here, because I don't got nothing to stay here for. The elder is kind of a little bit surprised to hear that, but Trevor, you know, this has been his life for so long. He's not really 
bothered by what's been happening in this city. I think he's a little bit resentful, honestly, of these people because they hate him. (laughs) But his family is a long line of monster hunters and they would have been the first people to defend these people against Dracula but they were hated and at this point I was like the parallels right now between Trevor and Dracula the parallels are paralleling (laughs) like this is so inverse of course because they're the antagonist and the protagonist but the fact that they've turned away from humanity because of their family being accused of witchcraft and burned and killed for it they have an opportunity to you know make positive changes in the world but because of the hurt that they personally feel they're letting that get in the way of what they can do and Trevor in particular I think has probably a little bit more reason to be bitter in this specific instance because like his family is from this country and everybody within it hates them for being monsters when they were the ones who were fighting the monsters. Yeah, I mean, is his apathy, like, do I understand that or identify with that? No, not personally, but I also haven't lived with the trauma that he's living with. To compare it to Dracula losing his wife, is that traumatic? Yes, of course, losing a loved one, especially a spouse, is traumatic. But do I think that the reaction was proportionate? No, not necessarily. But a lot of the time, these feelings of like resentment and bitterness and anger and a feeling of wanting to get revenge or just not caring what happens to anybody in the process, that's normal to an extent. (laughs) But like I said, this is kind of a turning point for Trevor as a character And as a human being, like, if he had never happened upon the elder, helped him with those priests, then he would have just breezed through this town, gone to the next place, and kind of just made his way to wherever until he was in the clear of Dracula's hordes. So it's at this point, like I mentioned before, that the younger speaker, Arn, reveals that the missing speaker is the elder's grandchild. I noticed right away that they were using a lot of gender-neutral terms for this character, and I will talk about that in the next episode, why they did that on purpose and what that's alluding to. Basically, the introduction of this character happens more or less the same way, but the way that this character like behaves for the rest of the series it is a bit of a deviation from the source material i don't have any particularly strong feelings about that because i've like i said i've never played the games but i will be comparing it to the games just for like for the fun of it (laughs) because there are differences and i think it's interesting to note what they've done differently in the present versus what they did in the original games. So upon learning about the Elder's grandchild, Trevor poses a compromise to them that if he goes down to the catacombs to find 
the elder's grandchild's body and brings it back to them so that they can kind of bury them and make peace with their death that they will leave the city and just camp out outside the city and help the people who are coming out of the city after everything is said and done. He agrees to these terms and leaves Trevor with some words of wisdom. It is not dying that frightens us. It's living without ever having done our best. Trevor doesn't seem to appreciate all that much because his response is, I don't care. Like I said, we are seeing that little spark of change in Trevor now, but it's not going to really come into full effect for a few more episodes, I want to say. The Trevor that we meet in episode one and the Trevor that we part ways with in season four's finale. Two completely different characters. <laughs> like, I mean, at his core, is he still the same? Yes, of course. But by the end, he's just slightly less feral. <laughs> and he is quite feral now. He is definitely a unique character. He is a very charming character to me. I really enjoy Richard Armitage's performance. I think that that's what really sells me on Trevor is... This man is acting the shit out of this character, and it's like, bro, you do not have to go this hard. A lot of the acting in this show is just, like, top, 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 top tier. In particular, the main trio and Graham McTavish as Dracula. They are all just so fucking talented. A lot of the time, I would consider Richard Armitage to be, like, kind of a micro celebrity and Graham McTavish has been in some pretty big stuff too. When you have an animated show with kind of bigger stars like this one does, celebrity voice acting is a bit of a controversial subject, right? Because you can do it and you can do it really poorly and you can end up with stuff like, I don't even know, like fucking trolls or you can do it really well and end up with something like Across the Spider-Verse. I think that the worst example, well, I, maybe Trolls was a bad example because I've never actually seen the full movie, but a better example of, to me, and this is a movie that I liked, but celebrity voice acting just not really working for the most part, the Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, you know it's bad when the least offensive, not offensive, but just the most innocuous performance is Chris Pratt. Like, you have a problem there because... While I like Anya Taylor-Joy, while I like Seth Rogen, they just did not belong in this movie, and maybe they were just miscast. But I really enjoy the cast in this show. Like I said, it's gonna be a really fun watch, and I'm already like, oh, I can't wait to watch the next episode. So join me next week as I watch season one episode three titled Labyrinth and episode four Monument of Castlevania. When I tell you these episodes are bangers, I am not kidding. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at nerdygirlpod my Tumblr, nerdygirlreviews.tumblr.com, my Facebook page, which is just Nerdy Girl Reviews, and send me an email at nerdygirlreviews at aol.com with any questions, comments, recommendations, or suggestions. Until then, 
Have a wonderful day and week. Keep fighting the good fight. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay nerdy.
even if they were willing to leave the city as the church has been urging them to do as Trevor even urges them to do the elder's not going to leave without his grandchild um so yeah 